Hello again, everybody. It's me, Eli. Remember, I'm back today with another episode of Murder in the Morning. This one is heavy. Um, And right now I'm staring down the barrel of a 50 degree sunny day. So let's get into it uh, because I'm ready to get outside. So when I was first getting into true crime, and I'm sure a lot of people feel the same way, I went full bore, like the documentaries I watched, the podcasts I listened to, the Netflix series, were all heavily focused, heavily focused around like the classic serial killers, the well-known stories that came along with those like Ted Bundy, Ed Kemper, Gacy. These stories really sucked me in and, and hooked my attention. It was honestly amazing to me that there were so many stories of these monsters hidden in plain sight, evading law enforcement for decades to realize the true horror that was out there that we've been so sheltered from, that we don't want to believe these people exist, but they do. And lately, I've been trying to ease up a little bit and listen to more uplifting stories. Like last week, I talked about doing a survival story. Still really want to do that um, about Abby Hernandez. But at the same time, I've also been getting, I've been getting that itch just to get back into that really, really dark place, you know, underneath the bridge where all the trolls hide to bring you a story that stains British Columbia's history. So the serial killer today that we're focused on, um, it's quite a well-known story, not new in any way, but it's so crazy and one of Canada's first, if not the first major major serial killer to walk among them. Um, So today I present to you Clifford Olson, described as Canada's Canada's pioneer serial killer, um, nicknamed the first true boogeyman of Canada, or the rent-a-car killer, or even more well-known as the Beast of BC, um, the Beast of British Columbia. As a master manipulator and charmer, Olsen terrorized the lower mainland of Vancouver and the surrounding area from November of 1980 to late 1981. It's reported that Vancouver at the time was a few years behind some of the other larger cities in Canada, um, especially large cities in the U.S., They were simply just a little bit more old school. And coming from a small town myself, I completely understand that feeling. Unfortunately, this included their police force as well, or rather the RCMP. But even with the dragging law enforcement a few years behind the curve, I'm not sure anything could have prepared the public or investigators for what was about to occur in the early 80s. In total, Clifford Olson is convicted of 11 first-degree murders among his countless other offenses before the 80s. But before we dive into his really, really horrific stuff, I want to take you back and tell you a little bit about this living dumpster fire. Because when we do get into his killings and abductions, they come fast, like back to back to back to back to back. And it just doesn't seem like it's going to stop. So we're going to hold off on that for just a moment. And I'll take you back to 1940, when the world got a little bit worse. Born on New Year's of 1940 in Vancouver, British Columbia, Clifford Olson was trouble from day one. There may not have been a single day in this man's life where he didn't break the law, I kid you not. Like when people talk about escalation, this guy could very well be the definition of it. Unlike in most serial killer childhood histories that we hear about, you can't really pinpoint one traumatic experience or accident that happened to Clifford um, that made him the way he was. But here's what we do know. As a child, Clifford was known as a bully in school up until the point where he dropped out around 17 and started his lifelong career in crime. According to one article on Murderpedia, 
Um, Olson had been arrested on 94 separate occasions between 1957 and 1981. These arrests included charges of fraud, charges of armed robbery, and charges of sexual assault. In the same article, there was a little fun fact that says, well, essentially, he had been in and out of jail so frequently from the time that he was 17 to the time that he was arrested for these upcoming murders that he had only been free exactly, quote, 1,501 days. So I did the math on this because I was really interested. Um, He was arrested at age 41. This is very rough math, by the way, so take it easy on me, please. Anyways, arrested at 41 minus 17. This gives us about 24 years to work with. 24 times 365 is 8,760 days. 1501 divided by 8760 gives us 17.1%, which means Clifford Olson was literally free for less than 20% of his adult life. I'm not sure anybody else can say that or can say that they've done that unless they literally get a life sentence at age 18. It's just ridiculous. But as good as Clifford Olson was at getting put into prison, he was almost as equally good at getting out. During his 42 useless years here on Earth, he escaped custody a total of seven times. Seven times he escaped prison only to tack on more time in jail and to add more crimes to his list of offenses. So during his many stints in prison, Olson was well known as a rapist and informant. At one point, he basically coached a fellow inmate named Gary, quote, to write down a confession for the murder of a nine-year-old girl. He then showed up at Gary's trial as a witness for the prosecution, helping to convict the man, end quote. So in between his times of prison, he would continue to help inform the police every so often. And this was one of the many reasons why he was able to get away with as much as he did in the short time, uh, because he somewhat kept on the good side of the police, even though they knew him as a real scumbag, just not as a murderer yet. Like I said before, Olson was a real charmer. Like many other serial killers, uh, he portrayed himself as a happy family man who went to church every Sunday. People remember him as a well-dressed, fast talker who smoked, quote, only top-of-the-line cigars. And I found that kind of funny. Like, do you really care that much about your appearance when you're only out of prison, essentially one out of every seven days? Who cares what you look like or what you're smoking? But I guess enjoy it while you're out because you know you'll be back in jail shortly. But this was only one side of the man. Some people have gone on to describe his personality as a Jekyll and Hyde type, um, where no one could, quote, see the monster ready to be let loose, end quote. Speaking of, are you guys ready to get into the hellhole that is Clifford Olson? There isn't much more on his uh, childhood history. So I think it's time to dive in. Just a trigger warning. This is kind of rough. A lot of children being abducted and murdered back to back here. And I have no intention of making these children feel like they're just numbers or just a victim because they have living families and their lives themselves were taken from them much too young. But there's just so many children and I can't spend too much time on each one. It'll be too hard to cover them all in depth. So I'm just going to gun through these and spare you most of the gruesome detail because we just we don't need to hear that, honestly. But anyways, 
This is the start of the beast of British Columbia's horrific year-long killing spree. We start in November of 1980. 12-year-old Christine Weller was abducted from her home in Vancouver. Her body was not discovered until December 25th on Christmas. How horrifying to not have only found your daughter dead on Christmas of all days, but now to have that yearly reminder every single year? Um, and Christine had been found with over 10 stab wounds to her abdomen, chest, and heart. Come mid-April of 1981, a few months later, Colleen Dinault, I hope I'm pronouncing that correct, um, who was 13, she was abducted from Surrey. And less than a week later, 16-year-old Darren Johnsrud was taken from a Vancouver shopping mall. Colleen had been driven to a remote area in South Surrey where she was attacked with a hammer and investigators found her cause of death to be two blows to her skull. Darren, however, he had been picked up in New Westminster and found in DeRoche, unlike Colleen, but he had the same hammer wounds, um, the same hammer blows to his head. Let me just pause for one moment to make a note. Remember how I said he was a charmer and manipulator? Over the years prior, he had charmed the shoes off of some lady, and just weeks after Bruder brutally murdering these multiple children I just mentioned, Colleen, Darren, and Christine Weller, this motherfucker went and got married. He, he got married amidst this year-long killing spree. And roughly one month later on May 19th, just after his wedding, Clifford kidnapped and murdered yet another victim. 16-year-old Sarah Wolfsteiner had been picked up yet again in the Surrey area at a bus stop, and she was driven down Chilliwack Lake Road and again beaten to death with repeated hammer blows to the head. And again, it, it, just, it just keeps going here. Only one month later, on June 21st, he took his fifth victim. 13-year-old Ada Court had been babysitting that night, and she never returned home. She had been picked up while walking home and driven to a remote area near Weaver Lake, where yet again, he killed this poor girl with repeated hammer strikes to her head. Now, picking up a little bit more steam here, on July 2nd, just about two weeks later, he found his sixth victim. This time, it was a nine-year-old boy. He was only nine years old. Simon Patrick James Partington was murdered on River Road, Nelson Avenue in the Richmond area. Quote, the deceased was picked up picked up two blocks from his home in the Surrey area and given a ride. During the ride, he was taken to a remote area of Richmond, given a couple bottles of beer, and then strangled. So this monster manipulates children, gets them drunk on drugs or alcohol, and then proceeds to kill them and most likely sexually assault. Ugh. This is where we first start to see him branch out a little bit, try new things as dark as that may come off in regards to killing people. But he's like branching out here by not using his hammer. It seems like maybe his confidence could be growing. It could be him getting bored with the same act over and over again. It could be a multitude of things. But whatever it is, the fact that he's now strangled and killed a nine-year-old boy is not good. It's clearly only going downhill from here. As you'll come to see, um, July of 1980, 1981, excuse me, was really his worst month, like in every sense of the meaning. 
A mere one week later, on July 9th, 14-year-old Judy Kozma became Olsen's seventh victim. Again, this girl was picked up near New Westminster, taken to a secluded location near Weaver Lake, and this time she was found with multiple stab wounds like her first victim. So now we have seven in total. Four were beaten with hammers, two were killed by stabbings, and one was strangled to death. All within less than one year, mind you. He started this in November of 1980, and we are only in July of 1981. What the fuck? On July 23rd, again, roughly two weeks later, Olsen here picked up another 15-year-old boy, Raymond King Jr., and brought him again to a remote area in Weaver Lake. Seems to be very comfortable with this area. Clifford then threw him down an embankment and beat him to death with rocks while he was unconscious. I don't know if this one seems more gruesome or just sloppy in general, but it sticks out to me. Um, like at this, I mean, we know this already, but he clearly has no remorse or an ounce of empathy or any conscience in regards to other human values or human lives. It almost seems like it's become a sport to him now to see how many people he can kill in however many different ways and in as little of time as possible. So that was July 23rd. The very next day, one day later, 18-year-old, forgive my pronunciation of this, Sigrun Charlotte Elizabeth Arnd had been picked up and driven to a remote area in North Richmond, and she was found murdered with massive head injuries from, again, a hammer, and thrown into a ditch by Olsen to be forgotten about. Okay, so we're we're almost through the rest of his horrible, horrible murders of children. But as I was researching this and then writing it down, um, I wrote this down because I had to take a little break. It just got so, like, ugh. It's really interesting, super frustrating, crazy fascinating, but it just weighs on you. Anyways, all I was saying is that I had to take a break. I went and got some Cinnamon Toast Crunch, started to feel a lot better. Let's get back into it. So three days after Sigrun's murder, Olsen picked up another 15-year-old, this time Terry Lynn Carson, from a bus stop and drove her out to another remote area near Lake Chilliwack and killed her by strangulation. I want to make another note here that, um, like I said in the beginning, one of his nicknames was the Rent-A-Car Killer. And this comes from the fact that in almost all of these cases of him picking up children, he had uh, rented a different car in every single case. So, I mean, whether or not people were aware of this happening there's no identification that could warn you of a man driving a certain car picking up children he was always changing it up and along with his charming attitude he was able to manipulate these kids into getting into the car with them unfortunately okay finally on july 30th his last victim louise simone marie evelyn chartrand these are such beautiful names. Just like I'm, I have three first names, essentially. A little bit jealous. Anyways, Louise was 17 when she was picked up near Whistler, British Columbia, walking to work. 
She was then driven to a remote area and brutally murdered with repeated blows to the head with a hammer. But thankfully, 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 this is where his reign of terror ended. Um, less than two weeks later, after he killed Louise, Olson was finally captured and apprehended for these crimes. Well, a crime. So he was arrested while driving yet another rented car near a Vancouver island. Um, they'd been tailing him at the time and watched Clifford pick up two female hitchhikers and finally decided to make a move. When searching the car at the time of the stop, they had found an old address book that had belonged to former victim Judy Kozma, and he was arrested on the spot for that murder. So apparently throughout the past few months leading up to uh, his arrest here, he had become a suspect in the case, if not the prime suspect. But because of the scattered law enforcement and only periodic surveillance of Clifford, he was able to continue to get away with these crimes for as long as he did. I mean, who knows how many more victims he could have killed. Surely the two girls that he picked up hitchhiking would have been murdered like the last 11 children he'd picked up. Okay, at this point, the RCMP has him essentially for the murder of Judy, and he's a suspect in many of the other disappearances and killings. This is maybe where we'd expect him to shut down, not say a word, claim innocence, or hell, even just toy with the investigators in the usual disgusting way. But as it so happens, something much more shocking occurred. Almost immediately, Olson tried to strike a deal with the prosecution. He offered to give up the location of six outstanding bodies and information in regards to the other four murders. But in return, he wanted $10,000 per victim to be paid to his wife. So I had listed all 11 um, abductions and killings back to back, but they hadn't, investigators hadn't found every body um, by the time of Clifford's arrest. So like I said, just to clear things up, there were four bodies found, excuse me, five bodies found, and then six were missing um, or outstanding, as they called it. And he offered to give up information about the murders and the missing children for $10,000 for each kid, which is just gross. And beyond anyone's wildest expectations, the, prosecu the prosecution agreed in maybe one of the most controversial deals of all time. Wilson, <clears throat> excuse me. Clifford ended up making good on his end, and his wife was paid on schedule. Obviously, the families were enraged and confused as to how this could have ever gone through, and they still are to this day. I mean, it just doesn't make sense. They tried fighting it multiple ways um, legally over the years, but in the end, Clifford's wife was able to keep the $10,000 per victim, so essentially hundred k. Finally, after all this hoopla, on January 11th of 1982, just two years after he started his killing spree, Clifford Olson pled guilty to 11 counts of murder and was immediately sentenced to 11 concurrent life terms. No matter how many life sentences this guy can receive, I don't think it'll take away any ounce of the infinite damage he had caused in such brief time. Um, this is a direct quote from another article on Murderpedia, of course, that encasts encapsulates i'm gonna stop saying big words it just kind of shows you every crappy thing he did um so 
Quote goes, during nine months, Olson killed at least 11 youngsters of both sexes ranging in ages from nine to 18. His killing spree not only stands out as the most shocking in Canadian history, but also as the most sor sorrowful one. Sorrowful one because of the number of victims involved and their ages. In one month alone, July 1981, six children were abducted, abducted, drugged, believed sexually used, and then murdered in the most brutal way. Scores of interviews and hours of research have shown that the RCMP had Olson marked down as a suspect at a very early stage. According to one RCMP officer, they had Olson as a murder suspect in the abduction of the first victim, 12-year-old Christine Weller, before her body was even found. End quote. So not only is it the worst killing spree in Canadian history at the time, if not ever, but had the RCMP been a little bit more on top of things, maybe, just maybe, this could have been avoided or at least a few of those children could have had their lives back. Now, I don't want to blame the RCMP entirely because obviously Clifford Olson is the only evil person in the story. But to have him as a suspect from murder number one, number one, and to not catch him until murder 11 seems a little far-fetched to me. I feel like somebody could have or should have connected the dots a little bit sooner or at the very least, at the very least, just have better surveillance on the man after, I don't know, the third child was kidnapped and murdered, or maybe after the fourth body was found, just get somebody on the guy. But I digress. It was the 80s. Who knows? And I mean, it's not good to dwell on the past and what could have happened, uh, because this was definitely a huge learning curve or learning experience for the entirety of British Columbia. Um, and they have since improved greatly. Clearly, Clifford, this guy, is fucked up. But not only is he fucked up, he's also weird. Like, really weird. He was not a quiet guy once he was in prison. Still loved to chat, loved to talk about himself, loved to write about himself. And at one point, he released a personal profile, he called it. And this included essentially everything about him, name, weight, religion, you name it. And then he lists his favorites, including favorite turn-ons, um, one of them being Jesus Christ, and another is talking politics, just to give you an idea of who this guy is. Uh, his favorite movies include the Star Wars series, and his favorite TV program was The Cosby Show. One more time, his favorite TV show was The Cosby Show. Some of his favorite fruits are cantaloupes and bing cherries. And his favorite sandwich is lettuce and tomato. Mmm. <laughs> uh, this is a direct quote from under the favorite foods category. Quote, I like all vegetables except asparagus and spinach, chocolate milk, coffee with cream and sugar. End quote. Do you think chocolate milk is a vegetable or were you just rambling, sir? To round it all off, under his favorite political party section, he said, I have never voted in any federal election or in any provincial election, end quote, which is honestly probably for the best because his opinion isn't worth much. Oh, and then um, he had a 15 sentence, two paragraph section about what his favorite sex thing was, which is apparently the fact 
that there are no rules. So again, just a little bit about how he thinks. Because um, I like to think consent is a rule, probably the first rule. And I can think of a few more things to ask before saying there are no rules. But anyways, he's a weird guy, loves to chat about himself. Um, and he has since passed away due to terminal cancer in September of 2011. And that's that. We can forget about Clifford, but hopefully we can keep the memory of those children uh, that were taken from us alive through their families through these years. I don't think I have much else to say. Uh, it's kind of a wicked story today, and I think we could all just take a minute to sit back, digest it, and move on with our day. See you guys later. Bye.